And then in verse, verse 29 it says, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle, the harvesting blade. And harvest crop, because the harvest is plenty. You know, I I love this parable. It's just so encouraging me because I tend to try to put too much on myself. And I love how this breaks it down. It's like, no, the farmer has a role. He spreads the seed. But the real work is something, the potency of the seed is outside his own ability. It's outside his own control. He can't, no matter how much he tries to pull on that seed, he can't, he can't make it grow and produce. But the seed has the power in and of itself. And as long as he's getting it out there, it's going to grow. And But there comes a time then where he has a role to, to harvest it. He's got to be ready at that time. And so we can see in this parable both restfulness and urgency. The restfulness is that, hey, he wakes up, he goes to bed, something is happening all by itself outside his control. And why is, man, that's, that's, a good, that's good news, right? That God can do good things in the world. God can do things in our life that is beyond us making it happen. Yeah. Is that good news to anyone besides me? And God does stuff in our life. It's not dependent upon how hard we work, how smart we are, how much, how strategic we are, all that. God is the one who does the work. And the essence of Christianity is that, is that it's not what we do for God. It's what he does for us. Uh, who he is and what he does for us. And so I want to talk about three reasons why, why this attitude of restfulness is important. Why is, why is restfulness important? We, we all kind of instinctively know that, right? Like when Christmas comes around, like, oh, I'm ready for a break. This seems like a good thing. I, I could use, I could use some, some downtime. How about that? Um, restfulness is important, number one, because it's an act of trust in God. Proper restfulness is an act of trust in God. It's recognizing that God is the one who does the real work. It's not us. God is the one who saves us. God is the one who grows us. God is the one who provides for us. God is the one who uses us to expand his kingdom. It's, it's him. And so we can go to sleep and wake up and go to sleep again and be in a place of rest because God's the one who does it. And and we, I have a tendency to, to feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. Anyone else tend to feel that way? Like, man, if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. But ultimately, that's not the truth. The ultimate truth is that God is the one who's in control, not us. And restfulness is an act of faith. And, it's, and I love this. We actually, was one of the psalms we just sang. It's from Psalm 4610. In this psalm, God says this. He says, be still. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, there's that's God's instruction. This is, hey, chill out. It's okay. Have peace. You still rest. I'm in control. I am God. Not you. Not any one of us. God is God. And He encourages us as, hey, be still. And know that the Lamb God. And from the very beginning of God's creation, when God made the world, it says He made the world in six days, and on the seventh day, God rested. And that was a model for us that there's an importance for us to, to have rest in our life, to have a place of 
restfulness in their life. That is through the Sabbath, which is that, hey, every one day in seven, step back, have a day of rest. And it's funny how, like, we tend to think, oh, man, God's commands, like, they're so hard and burdensome. But it's like, no, God's command is it's, it's stuff like this. Like, hey, rest. And you know what? That's a really hard command for us to follow. You think, like, man, that's a really easy command to follow. Like, chill out for a day. Have some rest in your life. But it is hard for us to do that. But God has always, from the very beginning, invited us into a place. The Sabbath is really, it's, it's, it's invited us into rest. And it's really that it takes faith. It takes faith to rest. Because that's putting something on God. Uh, it's interesting that in the Old Testament, not only was there a Sabbath every day, you know, every week, one day in seven, but every seven years, the land was supposed to rest. Hmm. And so people were instructed, hey, don't sow your grain. Don't, don't work every seventh year. But trust God that the seed will come up from what you sowed last year, and God's going to provide for you in that seventh year. And then after seven sevens, after 49 years, the 50th year was, was what was called the year of Jubilee, where there'd be another year of rest. And you'd be like, man, this is awesome. You know, I, mean, I, don't know, I think about professors who have a sabbatical. I'm like, man, that's a great system. How do they swing that? We should actually figure out that for my life. But the whole nation was instructed to have a sabbatical. You know what? There's no recorded evidence that the people of Israel ever followed that command. There's no evidence that they ever did that. Why? Because they probably took too much faith to trust that God would come through. Because it takes faith to enter a place of rest. And so, restfulness is important because it's an act of trusting God. And that's really what Jesus has brought us into even more fully. In Hebrews 4.3, we're told that, that he, we who have believed entered the rest of God. That Jesus, through what he did on the cross, brings us into not just a one day in seven, Kind of rest, but a place of sitting down on the inside, of having a place of rest inside. And because Jesus did the work on the cross, we can live life in that place of rest. But it's we who believe, it's we who trust Him. So restfulness is important, it's, it's an act of trust in God. That's the most important thing. The second thing is that we're going to talk about is restfulness renews us. We all get really this. I think we want to break with this a lot because we know we need to be renewed. We some, some, some downtime. Jesus said this about the Sabbath in Mark 2 27. He said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so, here, even the human tendency, the religious tendency, was to take the command of God and was to bring people into rest and to make it this legalistic thing. Like, okay, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Jesus said, no, wait a minute, the whole essence of this, the whole spirit of this, is that this was made for you. This was made to renew you. This was made to give you the refreshment and the renewal that you need. And restfulness is, is for us, it's to renew us. And then the third thing is that restfulness increases our effectiveness. I've got a friend who, who's a lawyer here in town. And he started off his career as a, as a, a jack in the Navy, as a military lawyer. And one of his assignments earlier in his career was the Navy commissioned him to do a study about vacation time. And basically studying the effectiveness of their vacation policies. And what he discovered, what the evidence pointed out, was that 
if people that having time off every so often made people more effective overall. And so the Navy issued a policy that you had to use your vacation days every year. Not because they were so nice, but because they realized if you don't use those vacations, you're actually less effective than if you do. If you don't take our, whatever, three weeks off over the course of the year, then you're getting less done without vacation than you're getting done with vacation. And the Navy's all about getting stuff done. And so they said, hey, we want you to take that time off. And that's true. Restfulness makes us more effective. And when we when you burn the candle on both ends, something gives. We're, we, don't, we don't work as well. We all hopefully know what it's like. You're just you work on a project or something, you're just at wit's end and it's not working. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just go away from it and go to bed or do something else, recharge. You know, they say that you should every every hour of work you should take a 10-minute break. And it's amazing how sometimes you come back, it's like, oh wow, I got it. There's creativity, there's energy, there's effectiveness that comes from the place of restfulness. And God wants us to be in, to be in that place. Uh, and it's amazing that in the Old Testament, again, that not only were these, we talked about the Sabbath day, the sabbatical years, but every year there were three full weeks of vacation and feasting that were commanded. If you're going to be a good follower of God, you need to take this week off and party. You need to take this week off and party. You need to take this week off and party. And, I mean, our, our family went to a Hanukkah party last night, and Jewish people know how to party. All right? I'm just going to tell you that. They're, I mean, they didn't, it wasn't like this lame. Uh, it was, when they took a week off, that was real, real party. And, but that was, that's part of God's plan. <laughs> Hey, you need to do this. This is the life I've called you into. This is part of what it's all about. So that's what God has for us. That's good stuff, right? Yeah. Good. All right. Did I, like, is that risk too great? I'm talking about restfulness on New Year's Day. Well, I got a question. This is a, like a question I want you to answer. You know, we're nice and cool here this morning. Table, smaller group. Um, so restfulness is really good. But anything taken too far has dangers. All right, and that's really what sin is. Sin is always taking something good that God has made and taking it out of bounds. You know, don't commit adultery. Sex is great the way God created it. But if you take it out of bounds, then there are all kinds of problems. And that's what sin does with everything. The devil doesn't have anything original. He takes God's good stuff. Peace it out of bounds. So, restfulness out of bounds can have some problems too. So, what are what are some of those dangers of restfulness out of bounds? Just go ahead, shout it out. Jamie, what? Getting lazy. Getting lazy. Yeah, yeah. Some 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 people have trouble. <laughs> no. Yeah, we all tend to be lazy. It's funny. There's a lot of Bible about in Proverbs. The, my my dad, my grandpa's favorite verse in Proverbs about the sluggard. <laughs> you know, a little sleep, a little point of hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a bandit. So my grandfather's real favorite verse, and he was a farmer, was, if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> yeah, laziness is a very real uh, temptation that we all face. Good. Anything else? Obesity. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Obesity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Restfulness in the new like, American culture, that's a, a real downside, a real you know, issue. Okay. Yeah. Too much time on social media. Too much time. You know. That's right. I was gonna go there. You already did. That's great. Social media, one of the biggest waste of time possible. Right there. Good. Anything else? Depression. Depression. How's that work? Can you tell us from personal experience, Rob? <laughs> no, you just kinda like you you start feeling lost after like sitting on your hands too much and not accomplishing anything. Yeah, there's a depression Temptation. Yeah, how does that work? Well, like, you David, King David, he was the man who got to the heart. There came a time in his life when it was the time for kings to go to war. And he stayed at home. And that was when he fell into temptation. Um, it's not good. But um, but procrastination, procrastination is, has been said as the biggest sin in America today. And I think that's really true. That we, we live in a, a culture of convenience and things that can get done quicker for us. And so I, that can create free time and a sense that you don't have to do stuff to procrastinate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the short times. Yeah. It's so true. Oftentimes our witness for Christ. Suffers greatly when people see us being lazy, not being, not having something about us that we're getting after. And people are like, why, why, why would I want that in my life? I don't want to do that time. So, good. Well, that's a natural segue to the other side of this paradox urgency. So we're called to live with both restfulness and a sense of urgency. And, and we see that in this farmer that, yeah, he. It's not dependent upon him, but it is dependent upon him. Like, if he doesn't sow that seed, there's no crop. And if he doesn't harvest the crop, there's no harvest. And so, he can't make this happen. It's, it's God who does it, and he can rest in a place of trust, and, and God is the one who does the work. But there is, it's, it's urgent that he gets after what has been assigned to him. And so I just want to look at three reasons why urgency is important. Number one, time is of the essence. Time is of the essence. Time is probably our most valuable commodity. We have been given a limited amount of time. Moses said in Psalm 90, teach us to, to, to redeem our days. We only have so many days. And what do we do with those days? Those of us who are parents, and I've got one kid in college now. And it's like, 
and always embarrassing how when I dropped him off 18 months ago or so in college, I cried like a baby afterwards. And then it was like, oh my goodness, like this time is over. Like, it feels like you're going to be in the state forever, and then it's gone. And, you know, you hear parents say that so often, like, how your children grow up so fast? And you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then you're like, oh my goodness. Like, you, you only have a limited amount of time. And every farmer knows there's a limited window to, to sow. No, wait, in the springtime, you've got so many days that you can sow. And in the fall, there's only a limited window where you can harvest. And if you miss that, then the whole year is shot. And so you hear farmers complain all the time. Oh, I mean, there was so much growth in at least up north, in, my, in the upper Midwest, where my county relatives live. Like, oh, it's too wet. We couldn't get in the field this spring. That rarely happens here in Kansas. Oh, a little bit this spring. But it's like, you gotta, you got to sow in the right time. If you're not sowing in the time of opportunity, you lose it. And harvest time, it's like, oh, my goodness, get all hands on deck. Like, we're going to be working around the clock, getting that grain out of the field. Because if we don't get it now, it's we're going to lose it. And so there's an urgency about, man, i gotta, I got to do this. Jesus said this, and it's true for our lives, that there are things that God has put in front of us, and the opportunities to see God's kingdom advance through our life, where we are called to be sowing, we are called to be reaping. And if we're not seeing that opportunity, we'll miss it. Jesus said in, in John 4, verse 35, he said, do you not say there yet four months, and come to Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now you say, hey, it's easy to say, oh, the harvest is four months away, but I'm telling you, my harvest is always right. There are always people ready to hear the gospel. One of uh, a really pastor I know from Phoenix, who's really as a hard evangelist, says this. He says, everyone is open sometime. Somebody's open today. You know, every day there's somebody out there that's open to the gospel. And but how often does it happen that in the time of their life where they're seeing their needs, seeing that they're in God, seeing that things aren't working out, that they're not having the opportunity that someone brings them a message of hope, that someone brings them a message of God, that someone shows up in their life and gives them something. You know. Lord, it's not four months and enough harvest. I tell you now, the harvest is here. I, the last couple months, I've been going out some with Eddie and, and Rob and a couple of people. We've been out, just going out and sharing our faith with people around the mall and parks and campus. We've had some great conversations. And, you know, it's, there's always that thing in your heart when you're like, okay, I want to talk. I feel like God wants me to talk to somebody. Who should I talk to? And usually we go out and we pray and say, God, just lead us to the right person. And it's amazing how usually there'll be some, as we're out there, there'll be some little like prompting of our heart. Like you see someone, there's just something about it. And you know what's crazy is like, if you hesitate, so often the moment is lost. If you hesitate, it's like, oh, but they just walked into that store. And now it's gone. But when you just like, feel that prompting and you're like, Hey, how's it going? I'm Jonathan. This is Eddie. We're out talking to people about their faith and about God. And it's like, bam, it opens up an amazing conversation. We had this week, Adam met one of his high school friends over for, for dinner. And this is a guy I believe is someone God is reaching out to. There's like a call of God on his life. And 
he had visited our church once, like a year, over a year ago. And, and we started the dinner conversation. And he said something like, hey, how's it going at Blue Mont? And I was just, I felt like that prompting, like, man, God's calling you. God is wanting you to be part of something. And I was just like, you know, it's been really just a downhill slide ever since you never came back. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been really emotionally discouraging, too. <laughs> and though you laugh, he's a great guy. But it was like it opened this conversation about his faith. And I'm like, you know, so often it's like, you don't know what to say, but when the harvest is ripe, you got to be ready to take out the sickle and swing. And that's, that's what God uses to do Time's in the essence. All right. You got that? You got that? All right. Time's in the essence. Number two, there is an enemy. In another parable in Matthew 13, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seeds in this field. His enemy came and sowed weeds. Not only is there an opportunity and God's involved in doing great things in the world and calling us into heaven. There is a enemy who we can't see, who hates our guts and hates people's guts, and is at war with the people of God and the purposes of God. And the, the nature of spiritual warfare in our culture is that, I mean, it's true everywhere, but I think it's especially true in the West, is that the devil does not just show up in our life where you can see him with his maniacal grin and nasty canine teeth and a pointy tail and go, I'm the devil, but I want to destroy you. No, he doesn't really do that. But his art is the art of deception, of subterfuge. And hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Sun Tzu in China wrote the classic book, The Art of War. And he really had his insights about how to wage war is what the devil does. He said this, he said, the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. <clears throat> All warfare is based on deception. When we are near, we must make the enemy believe we are far away. That's what the enemy does in our culture. Like, the enemy is controlling huge slots of our culture. You look at education, you look at the media, you look at government. I mean, the enemy is in there controlling things and bringing his agenda, bringing his message in a, in a way that is, is just like sticking his, his, his foot on our throat. But most of the time, we don't realize what's going on. We're just kind of like, yeah, well, that's pretty good. This is comfortable. This is nice. And the enemy's like, yeah, it's just the way I want it to be. But there's to be an urgency about our life because whether we realize it or not, we are in the world. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against spiritual powers and darkness and things And there is an enemy that is fighting for people's lives, fighting for our culture, fighting for the nations of the world. And because of that, there's a sense of urgency. Um, and then the, the last thing, why urgency is important, I'm going to talk about this. God is that God assigns us essential role. That unless the farmer plants the seed and harvests the crop, there is, there is no crop. There is no harvest. And that's the way it is for us. That God is doing things in the world. He's changing lives. He's advancing his kingdom. 
But it comes down to, are there farmers sowing seeds? Are there farmers reaping the harvest? And if we, if the, the level of harvest is directly proportional. It's related to how much we're involved in that, in that process. Um, how we live our daily lives matters. What's going on? In 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12, we're told that since everything around us is going to be dissolved like this, what holy and godly lives we should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Now this is it's pretty crazy. It's talking about the, the day of the Lord, the day of God, which is referring to the, the second coming of Christ and the final judgment. And it's saying, hey, the way you live your life affects the timetable of God's purposes in the world. Like, as we live holy and godly lives, we are hurrying along the day of God. We are bringing history to the place that God has intended for. That there is a, a relation to how we do our job to where history reaches reaches its ultimate pinnacle and what God has for us. And so as we are serving God, as we're sowing, as we're reaping, we're bringing God's purposes, we're bringing the second coming of Christ closer and closer to God. That's awesome. Okay, um, I'm going to ask you the same question about this. What are the dangers? So urgency is important. We need a sense of urgency. I believe God is going to speak to many of us today. And I want to put a sense of urgency in If your life matters. And you have to rest with the urgency. So what are the dangers of urgency out of that? Burnout. Burnout. Yeah. So it's easy to yeah, you feel like it's all on you. And you just go, go, go and not have downtime, not have times of repression, not get what we need, and then keep playing out. Good. What else? Confusion. Confusion. Okay, how does that work? Um if you're if you're just going, you're just trying to get everything done, you're trying to go fast and you can confuse yourself and get lost in the sauce trying to do it. Lost in the sauce. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Like sometimes you're just like you're going, 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 and it seems like there's so much to do, and you need to step back and get. And then there's perspective about everything. Yeah, so true. Legalism. Legalism. We tend to want everyone else to be legalistic around us, too. Right? <laughs> yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. Jacob. Uncalculated risk. Okay. Yeah. Explain that. Things rashly, just oh, I gotta do it, I gotta do it, I gotta do it. You don't count the cost, you don't strategize, you don't calculate the way you should. Yeah, yes, oh man, that's huge. Isn't man losing opportunities to bond with people around you? Yeah, it's so task oriented, you lose sight of the whole point of the task. So we, we, we lose that. We just, just yeah. 
Just a couple other takeaways to apply this in our life. Actually, I'm going to go through this quickly. Uh, how, do we, how do we apply this? What do we do with this? Because this is tension. This is a paradox. It's hard to live in paradoxes. It's hard to take these things and not over-apply one side or apply one way without, and without losing what we need to have on the other side. I just want to give us three things to take with this. First of all, trusting God. This is the basis of everything. Is being in a place of trusting God. This is the basis of the relationship with God. This is how our relationship with God starts. It's putting our trust in Him, putting our trust in Jesus, what He's done for us on the cross. It's not what we do, it's who He is, what He's done, what He does. And so it's the basis of our relationship with God. It's the basis of partnering with God. It's God never calls us to take something on ourselves that's not trusting in Him. So whatever is not a faith is sin. So if we're trusting in God as we're resting, as we're having this experience, we have to do this in God. Trusting God, the second thing is so in the kingdom seed. So in the kingdom seed, what do you mean? Well, there's a lot of stuff a farmer can his barns, full beads. But at the end of the day, it's about he doesn't sow seed, it's not going to happen. He doesn't sow the right seed, it's not going to happen. By sowing seed, it's what are the what are the ideas and the words that first of all we are sowing in our own mind, in our hearts, 
And then one of the words we had is that we're selling in our relationships. And you can see this as the word of God. There's something so powerful about God's word being in us. And so the first place we gotta sow the word is in our hearts. You know, as we talked about during our time worship, it's man. Most important thing we can do this year is to see God. Just pursue Him, just get His Word inside of us. It's like we have no idea how much, as we read the Bible, or listen to a message, meditate on the Scripture, we pray. The impact of that is, is incredible. Worship. I was talking my being our nine year old kid in bed this week, and I just started singing this song that I learned when I was a kid. It was a corny, like 70s, 80s Christian song. And it's called Joy is a Flag Flown High from the Castle of Your Heart. It's the idea is like, your heart's a castle and there's this flag and it's joy. It's like, because the king is in residence there. And so it's like, joy is a flag. It's this like cheesy little kid song. It's like, man, that is a really powerful truth. That when God's in your life, there's joy. And that's the evidence that God's in your life. And I was like, man, I heard that as a kid. And that got in me, and that's affected my life. And now, my kid, hopefully, like, God's getting that in there. And it's amazing, like, we hear so much other stuff throughout the day. Now, social media was mentioned. I mean, there's a barrage of the enemy sowing seed into our life through so many outlets in the world. And social media can be a powerful tool, but if we're just, like, letting seed come at us from every which way, then we're going to be reaping all sorts of other problems. But if we're intentional about, you know, God, I want your word. I need to get this. I get in you. Let your truth get in you. Let your word get in you. That will be the powerful problem. And not only that, but then as God's word gets in us, then we have something inside of us out of the overflow of that to speak to other people. We have a word of encouragement. We have a word of truth. We have a word of hope and life as we're sowing God's word in us to get it to other people. And so, you know, I want to encourage you. I think there are probably some of you in this room that this year, maybe you've never read through the Bible before. Man, that would be the best thing you could do this year. And you say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the Bible. I've many years of my life, that's been just a pattern in my life. I just so the see of your word in my life. And I mean, that's always been in that way of reading the Bible in the year. Um, maybe going through Kingdom Living or mastering our Bible study books, Kingdom Living One and Two and Three. Like if you will master the content of Kingdom Living One and Two and Three, man, your life will be transformed. Find yourself so seed in amazing ways in other people's lives too. Um, looking for opportunities in, in your relationships, in your job, just be so many things. And then the third thing, application, is be led, not driven. Romans eight fourteen says, "For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God." One of the ways to tell is, okay, are we being? Is this a? Am I in a place of? Right sort of urgency or just compulsion is, okay, am I being led by God's Spirit or is it some other internal stuff going on? Right? And God doesn't drive us in that way. God leads us. He goes before the flock and calls them and leads them. And this other scripture is really cool. Isaiah 63, 14 says, As with cattle going down into a peaceful valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. You led your people, Lord, and gained a magnificent reputation. 
And they sometimes we think that God it's it's like the old like Wild West cattle drives. Like you got cowboys on their horses and spurs, and they're like chasing the cattle around and trying to force them where they don't want to go. But if you look at like Middle Eastern agriculture with livestock, it's more like the shepherd or the herdsman goes in front of the, the livestock, walks in front of them, calls them, and they follow after them. Go to the place where they're supposed to be. And that's really how God wants to lead us. It's He's going somewhere, and He's speaking, and He's calling us to go with Him. So, All right. Well, like I said, I trust you got something good. She wanted to buy today. Um, we're gonna celebrate communion together, and really, as we do this, I'm, this is such an appropriate way for, for both aspects of this. The restfulness is that because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, He became our peace. He became our rest. He delivered us from all our futility. He took that off of us. And as we celebrate communion, we are remembering that it's Him, not us, that are trusted. And at the same time, there's the, the sobriety about, man, this cost Jesus his life. And he calls us to give our all as well. And as we receive from him, then we offer our lives in Christ. And say, God, I want you to have my life. I want to live on so um, if you want to take part in that today, let's just go ahead and do that now. Go ahead and stand up when there are elements in the back of the room. Um, you can grab a piece of bread and a cup of juice, and we'll come back to our seats. I'll take that. Joining with you in your community. And Lord, I pray, even as we as we remember you, the cup and the bread, 
Lord, may we receive today fresh grace from you, fresh rest from you, fresh empowerment, and even your heart of urgency for, for your 